Welcome to Project Leap, the podcast for doers, which you would know if you were following us on social media, especially our Facebook page. My name is Meredith Pappas, and along with my co-presenter, Tara Nevin, we know all about uh, taking that big leap and starting a business or, or following our dreams in a regional, rural and remote setting around Australia. This is a podcast all about those doers, and it is all about making sure that the innovators and the businesses in those parts of the country have a voice. So, hey, Tara, how are you going? Hi, Meredith. Happy to be here again this week and really looking forward to having a chat with our guest this week. That's right. And speaking of our guest this week, we will introduce her properly a little bit later. But Deb Ray, uh, who is based in Mackay from Deb Ray Solutions, uh, she is joining us today and she's in the hot seat. So Tara, Deb and I will be having a bit of a natter a little bit later on. But Tara... We need to just cast our minds back a little while. The little issue that we're going to talk about today uh, is the Australian of the Year who was announced not that long ago, but um, I think she needs a, another mention, Michelle Simmons. What did you think of her speech? I loved it personally. What did you think? I, you know what? I think it really blew me away, Meredith, the um, you know, story she had to tell particularly about the youth of the world and, and how... What she says, she really actively encourages all students, girls and boys, and I um, And I think we had a conversation about this. I actually had both my children, who are both teenagers, sit down and listen to this because she, and both of them actually have dreams to be in STEM as well. So, um, but she was very much about dreaming big, you know, challenge yourself uh, and, and how the importance to actually have that big picture view to try and get those ambitious goals. And I think that really aligned with what Project Leaf's all about. You know, just have the courage and, and, and have the big dreams and get out there and give it a go. And I think what a wonderful representation of Australia and the innovators and doers of the world was, was to give her the Australian year. I think that was incredible. For sure. Look, always great to see a woman getting that kind of kudos. But I think it goes well above and beyond the, the, the woman card, if you want to play it that way. You're right. I had my two children. Um, one's a teenager one's a preteen sit down and listen to to that speech and not just in the stem field my my son's looking at that direction but uh, my daughter is looking more in the creative industries but that even more so the dreams around that they're quite aspirational and they're quite pie in the sky to anyone who might not think outside the square but look just being courageous enough I think that was the really big takeaway that I took from her was being courageous enough to do what was a bit different and take that leap and it, it does lead right back to what we're talking about here today. But I think mindset's a big part of that and then I'm really looking forward to um, kind of picking Deb's brain around the mindset of of innovation and taking the leap. She uh, did us all proud I think and it's great to see an Aussie leading the way in something as incredible as um, as that field. So let's, um, I just want to give a quick shout out, Tara, to our supporters, partners, and um, those people who've stuck with us um, since the beginning of this, our own little mad dream here, if you like. So a thousand invisible threads, of course, um, iScribe Consulting, Amanda Powell Digital, big thanks to Amanda at Amanda Powell Digital, Kazen Media, and also Purple Wax. So um, yeah, thank you very much to to our wonderful supporters. But uh, without further ado now, I would like to introduce our wonderful guest today. And 
I'm not one for writing, uh, for just reading bios, but I think this one says it perfectly. So Deb Ray, welcome. Deb is an accomplished consultant, author, and coach with more than 20 years national experience. Her expertise lies in creating and maximizing opportunities for growth. That's whether it's organizations, teams, or individuals. She achieves this by supporting people to celebrate their strengths, acknowledge the barriers that they face, and make some changes that will really matter to them. It's a challenging, exhilarating, and joyous ride. Deb has a proven track record in team development, coaching, and strategic planning, and she's also a skilled facilitator. Deb has also recently published Getting There, Grief to Peace for Young Widows. So congratulations on that, Deb. That's no small achievement there, but it's a resource to support young women, their families, friends, and professionals wanting to understand the world of a grieving person. Deb's aim is to change the way we think about grief so it is less fearful, more appreciated and easier to deal with within our society. Now, matched with all of that experience are many qualifications, including a Master of Social Administration, a Bachelor of Arts, a Graduate Diploma of Human Resource Management and a Diploma of Management. She was also awarded the Manager of the Year, not-for-profit sector, for the Mackay region in the Australian Institute of Management, Management Excellence Awards in 2011. Deb, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Meredith. That is quite a uh, quite a list of accomplishments and achievements. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I obviously spent way too much time at university, but I really <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> There's nothing like that lifelong learning, is it? I, I think it's um, it's one of those things you either love it or you don't. Yes. No, good on you. So, um, look, we were just talking about Michelle Simmons and the the, the drive and the, uh, I guess, the, the passion that she had to have. And, and part of what you do is about, you know, mindset and, and um, you know, transformation and everything. But just when you heard about that, if we can just, you know, throw back to what we were talking about earlier, what was your view when you heard her speech and when you heard that she was named the winner? Uh, I thought it was fantastic. I hadn't heard of her work before uh, before she was named as Australian of the Year, but I, I think I was I was really struck by the enormity of what she wants to achieve. Uh, you know, the, the goal that she has set herself is huge, mm-hmm. and and I think that says a lot about how we achieve goals. That you know, we can we can we can set our minds to something that is far beyond what we think we're capable of, but then we we find out that we are capable of it. And and coupled with that is the fact that she is, is still looking beyond her own working and looking at how she, how she encourages uh, young people and, you know, and what else she can do in her community. That's beyond the actual work that she's doing as well. I found it very inspiring. Let's go to a bit about your journey now, if we could, Deb. Yeah. Just reading some of the questions, because as our listeners would know, um, we do have a series of questions that we give our interviewees every week. Um, but... Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now. Uh, yes, well, I actually ended up in the role that I have now and, and the location that I am in now um, because of some negative experiences that I had in my life. So uh, I had a very different life about uh, 13 years ago uh, and uh, at that time uh, my husband uh, was killed in an accident which resulted in me having to reassess everything about my life. He actually uh, died while we were overseas and we were living and working overseas, which meant that uh, a lot of the things that I had in my life I no longer had. So I couldn't stay there. I couldn't live in that same country. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a home. I didn't have a family. 
uh, my immediate family, being me and my husband. So I, I really had to reassess a lot of the things that were happening for me. Uh, and, and I really struggled to understand grief. Uh, and what and what was happening within my own mind, my own mindset, and I spent a lot of time trying to understand that. And that that process of trying to understand uh, led to me writing a book, and led to me doing further study and and doing a lot of the things that I did. Uh, so I I wrote the book, um, Grief to Peace. I worked in getting there, uh, and and I started working in the community development sector, which is something that I'd wanted to do since I was very young in in a community development role. Uh, but then I'd been in that role for a few years, and I'd worked my way up in that role. Uh, and the organisation I was working for was um, government funded, and they lost their funding in a, in a government change. Which again meant it seemed like a huge setback for me, uh, but again led to me thinking about well, what is it that I really want, and and what do I want to achieve, and how do I do that? So I, I that's when I started my own business, and I've worked over the um, the last um, five years to be where I am now. So Deb, in your um, in your journey, I mean, obviously you've had an incredible journey yourself, and you you also work with a lot of other innovators, I guess, and business people in, in various formats. But I'm really curious in this this concept of uh, mindset. I think it's a really I work with a lot of entrepreneurs as well, and I find it's a really relevant thing because half the time they struggle to get over what happens in the world around them um, and just don't keep going. And I know grief is a massive thing to deal with, but in everyday life, just running your own business is always massive hurdles to get up over. And I'm, I'm really interested about how you've kind of, you know, either shared that with the people you work with or, um, uh, you know, experienced that yourself around getting yourself into the right mindset for innovation. I mean, we have a lot of whirlwind that goes on. How do you stay out of that space to actually move forward? Yes, and, and that's what I learned in dealing with grief. Uh, there, there's the, uh, when I say grief, there's, there's the grief of the person who died, but there's also the grief of all of the other things that you've lost in your life and, and, um, and not having the life that you thought you were going to have. And I think a lot of people experience that a lot of the time. They're in a job they don't like or things haven't worked out the way that they thought they did they would or they lose a job or they uh, they they don't have the lifestyle that they wanted there are lots of those kinds of expectations that happen all of the time and you can spend a lot of time um worrying about that or uh, being disappointed by that or you can decide what you're going to do and and that's that's the point that I got to in my journey I understood that I could never change what had happened to me or the situation that I was in as much as I wanted for that to change, I couldn't change it. And I really didn't like the position that I was in uh, uh, and I spent a fair bit of time fighting against it and then I realised I, I can't change that. The only thing I can change is myself. So I started to look at what's, what is my mindset and that was, a, that was a really difficult journey because I didn't want a different mindset. I liked the mindset I had from my first life. But we do get stuck in that space a bit, don't we? <laughs> Yes, so then it became about identifying, well, what is it that I actually want? Uh, and when I knew that, then I can decide what mindset do I need to have to be where I want to be. And I start, I learned how to create the mindset that I wanted. I, I came to understand how vitally important it is for, you know, for big, big decisions that you're making in your life, but also the things that you do on an everyday basis that um, 
the mindset that you carry with you influences everything that you're doing. The things that we do every day are form the habits that create the life that we have in 10 years' time. And, and I still can't guarantee what will happen in the future. You know, there can be another big tragedy um, coming my way, but I do know that I have the mindset to deal with whatever is coming. But how would you define that mindset or is there a process for that? I mean, I, mm. think, I think, you know, I've heard, I've been in this space and I hear people talk about mindset all the time, but is there a, is there a process for getting yourself into that space? I mean, it, and it's probably different for everybody, but... How did, you, how did you go about doing that? Yeah, um, at first it was about understanding my intention. So, so what, uh, what, what did I, what outcome did I want? And, and you know, that can be for in the beginning. That was about what intention do I have for the next two hours? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, and sometimes my, my mindset was I'm going to spend the next two hours eating as much ice cream as I can. <laughs> I love it. Or it became about I'm going, to, I'm going to do something productive in these two hours. And so then, you know, setting, setting that intention and then um, identifying what kind of actions align with those, that intention because sometimes I didn't know. So sometimes with work, I knew my intention was to do something, to do this project really well, but I had no idea how to actually do that. So then it's going to, you know, doing that inf- information gathering about how can I do this really well. And, and part of that is then about um, who are role models for me? Who do I know who, who already does this well? And then, um, uh, you know, there's some neuro-linguistic programming that happens in there about uh, I would find someone who does do it well and I would try to understand their mindset. What's the mindset that they have to be in to be able to produce what they produce? And and it's about what kind of words do they say? How do they think? Uh, how do they hold their body? How do they interact with other people? So I would actually watch them and study them and, you know, watch people on um, YouTube videos and try to understand how what's the mindset that gets them to be that they want to be. And And so I did a lot of that. But it was also about understanding and accepting that I can change my mindset but quite quickly if I want to you know I used to think that it would take you know months of thinking and working and planning but then I realized I can do a bit of meditation and I can be in a completely different space very fast or um, someone can threaten to shoot me and I'll change my mind very quickly as well so you know I understood that it's this is possible I can do this so if we can go back to that point though where you feel like uh, you know you knew that you had to make that change that you had to go on that journey of transformation what was or was there a crystallizing moment and if there was what was it what what made you snap out of it I guess in layman's terms yeah there there were a few things um I, I like to see how far I can push things until they're almost about to break. So so I did that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I was kind of like, I'll get away with as much as I can until I can't. So, you know, I pushed my health as far as I could until I thought, okay, this it's becoming dangerous. I actually need to turn my health around or I'm going to be in a, in a very difficult position. I pushed my family, you know, until they said enough is enough. And, and, you know, I started to recognise where some of those boundaries are. And then I also, in terms of uh, my business, uh, I really, it was a huge mind shift to become, to go from being an employee to being a business owner. And there was a lot I didn't know how to do. So I basically backed myself into a corner. You know, I just burned bridges and and got myself into a position where I had to be successful. You know, one way or another, I was going to have to work this out. So you know that that was quite scary, but but um, 
but I enjoy a challenge. And and I was determined to, uh, I had that determination that I was going to make this work. So uh, if, if, if there's an easy way out, you know, I'm happy to take it, but I made sure there weren't any easy way, ways out. I had, I was, I put myself in a position where I had to change my mindset. I had to make That's it a really big admission for anyone to make. If there's an easy way out, then I will take it. Yeah. Because most of us, you know, we try to be a bit stoic and a little bit sanctimonious about it and go, oh no, there's the easy way and the right way. I say that to my children for heaven's sake. <laughs> but it is a big admission. And you know, how many times do you see that? I remember talking to an associate once and she said, it's amazing what you can do when failure is absolutely not an option because you've explored all those options. You've been yeah. there, done that. You've got no other way to go but up. What do you say to someone who's going through that now? What is one little pearl of wisdom that you would, albeit possibly unsolicited, but, you know, say to that person who's there going, I can't do this? What do you say to them, Deb? Mm. Uh, if you believe you can't, then you can't. So, uh, so it is about changing that mindset, uh, and and sometimes that's that's about finding some hope. Uh, there, you know, there, there can be. I understand being in overwhelm, and everything looks too big, and everything looks too hard. So then it's just about finding one thing that you can do, uh, mm-hmm. and and holding on to the hope, and doing that one thing, and then finding one more thing that you can do, uh, and 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 you know, taking yourself out one foot at a time because you can do it. We, we know that you can do it, uh, you, whatever you need to do. But then also finding, making sure that you have supports. Uh, you don't always necessarily use that supports, but just knowing that you have supports around you makes a world of difference. I really like that idea of chunking that you talk about, Deb. It's just that like one step in front of the other. Mm. And I think I think that it's what can I handle now and that's what I can do. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that seems to that's coming out by from, and you're talking about support people, but you also mentioned role models earlier. Um, and I'm really interested to understand who you felt through your journey were your role models and people that you could actually sort of admire and look towards but also we're also your supporters in the process because sometimes people look around and there's no one there. Uh, yes, and um, I guess for me it was uh, I, I looked at other people who were, were in their own businesses and who were, who were somehow making it work mm-hmm. uh, and and um, and I listened to whatever I could, whatever stories I could, uh, particularly other regional local women because they were going through lots of things that were similar to me. And, and at first it's it, you know always on the outside it looks like everyone else has got it together and I'm the only one who doesn't understand how to do this but of course when you start to talk with people you start to scratch the surface you understand that they've gone through their own challenges and and they've worked that way so I found that very inspiring to talk with some of those women and um, you know there I, I follow some um, people like Tony Robbins or Marie Forleo or, or other people who talk about the kinds of things you can do in business and and some of those things really help me with mindset so when my mindset's not in a good place I'll I'll go and you know seek out something like that that can help me to change mine but also I do a lot of one-on-one coaching with um, people and and I support uh, a young widows group. So you know, I, I talk with women who are who are struggling, uh, and other people who are dealing with their own challenges. And and I find a lot of inspiration from from talking with women who have uh, who have made what seem like quite small changes in their life, but have such a dramatic effect. And you know, just understanding the amount of will and determination and energy it took to make those small steps, then you know, I, I see that and think, well. 
I, I have no right to say I can't when I see people doing those kinds of things. Um, Deb, look, I think that in itself is quite inspiring and you've been, I guess, balancing between the professional and the personal and we know that this thing called work-life balance is such a, an obscurity at times but uh, so many people in their own, especially starting out in small business, don't quite know how to achieve that, that all-important balance. To you, how important, you mentioned your health before, how you pushed it to the point where it was almost dangerous. How critical is maintaining that balance to you and how do you do it? Uh, yes, I, being um, uh, a, a business owner by myself and, and, and my home office is essentially my office, mm. uh, it, it can be really difficult to get away from work because it's just in that room just there and you know the laptop is always with me so work is constantly a very uh, fulfilling work um, that he does as well so for me uh, work essentially took over everything that I did and it, and it was my obsession for a while uh, and and I came to understood that that uh, balance I, I, for me, balance balance isn't a fifty-fifty split between work and home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love my work. I love the types of things that I do with uh, the people that I work with. I love the challenge of trying to work out new ways of doing things, and I love some of the just sitting down doing the administrative work. Um, you know, being a business owner, I, I'm learning something new all the time, which I really enjoy. But it's just about, I think, it's about knowing that I'm in control of it, that it's not controlling me. That's, that's the main thing for me. And also um, because of what happened to my husband, I, I understand that we don't get to decide when our life will finish uh, and whatever time we have, we need to make the most of it. Um, and I also read something uh, not long after my husband died that uh, that widows die younger than the rest of the female population. Uh, whether they're young or old, or so, so I became very determined that I wasn't going to let that happen to me. So my health then became much more important. So you know, I look after my health because I know that I need it to be able to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I I spend time with my family because they keep me grounded. I you know they I um, I'm able to be with them and understand that work isn't everything. My my dad um, is not well and I see my dad and I understand that yes I love my work but but this is this is so much more important so you know I I do those things because they keep me um, focused on what are the priorities and I also have to deliberately schedule fun into my calendar every week you know I make sure that I put some things that in there that I have no point whatsoever except that they're just there for me to have some fun so I think that idea of work-life balance is different for everyone and it's about finding what works for you and making sure that you're actually in control of it. You know, if, if, if either the work or the, the life stuff is um, overtaking, then you don't have a balance anymore. So on that note, going from fun to fear, uh, the thing about Project Leap is, you know, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. You can see the edge of the cliff jumping right off. And I think there's a, there's, there's a thing, there's that moment where you go, I'm embracing this fear, I'm jumping off the cliff. Um, and it could be small things. It could be starting a podcast, getting up on stage to present um, a pitch for a business. Um, but I'm, I'm curious that those times that you've experienced in that life, in those things in your life, that how have you actually made that decision to feel the fear and do it anyway or jump off the cliff or whatever it might be? What's the, what's the thing that kind of drives you to take that step? 
Um, I, I really enjoy uh, those kinds of challenges. I, I really enjoy pushing those kinds of boundaries. Uh, and, uh, and and again, I, I tend to, I think that things look scary, but then I tend to just say yes and then decide how I'm going to do it later because I know it's a good thing for me to have done. Uh, and and that can be terrifying. But again, it's kind of like that thing, I burn the bridges and then I have to find a way to make it happen. Uh, and then it, it becomes... Uh, it becomes about mindset once again because once once you understand why it's fearful, then then you can manage it. You know, it's mostly about all of that unknown. That is, that's what's scary. So, um, if I'm preparing for something that's fearful, again, I break it down into the tiny steps, and I understand that there's there's a challenge. There's there's something for me to learn. So, uh, by the time I finish this, I'm going to have. I'm going to be better at being able to do this. I'm going to know how to do this, which means I can do lots of other things. I'm going to have all of these uh, people that I've worked with and I'll, and I'll learn an enormous amount just by being around these people. So I start to look for the opportunities. And then um, and then I do a list of all of the what-ifs. So, uh, you know, w- what if the project did fail? What if I did look like a complete fool? What if people laugh at me? And then I write down what I, what I would do to deal with them. Uh, and so then, so then, that, that unknown and the scary unknown bit is gone. I know that whatever happens, I'm going to be able to manage it. Um, so that that gives me the confidence then to to stop focusing on the fear, but focusing on what I want. The other thing, uh, because of the experiences I had with uh, the death of my first husband, I came to realise that uh, a lot of the fears that we have don't really matter in, in the long run. Uh, you know, and, and I judge a lot of things by will anyone die or is anyone bleeding? And and if both of those are no, then I'm fairly happy to, to jump in and have a go at it because life is just too short. It's too short to have stood back and say, oh, but, you know, that was a bit scary, so I didn't want to try it. I don't ever want my life to have ended by me saying there are so many things I didn't do because I was afraid. When you're coaching one-on-one in particular, how do you convey that message and how? what is the kind of resistance that you get from people who go, oh, I still don't know about that? Uh, I I support people to uh, bring down their drama around it so I support that you know I, t- I just kind of be very I can be very flippant about it and say oh well yes okay you're going to make that speech to 3,000 people all right so what have you started to prepare and, and I just make it quite flippant so that so it you know we take away that the, the drama that that exacerbates the fear and then and then we just we work through it one step at a time but then of course we have to address the fear and understand that um, that there's fear there, and also understand that fear is very, very close to excitement. Um, the only difference between the two is is what uh, is how you perceive them. So you can look at that fear and think, "Oh my gosh, this is going to completely overwhelm me, and and I'm going to be a mess." Or you can say, "Oh, look, my gosh, look how excited I am. That's going to can totally charge me through this experience." So then supporting them to to reinterpret um, the kinds of feelings that they're having as well and being able to manage those. And, and you know, we can talk about where, when have you dealt with these um, kinds of situations before? How did you get through at that time? Um, who have you seen who does this well? What can you learn from them? And, you know, start to identify some strategies and do those what-ifs so they know that, okay, this is scary, there's a lot of emotion attached to it, but it's also completely possible. 
just having a look through your your questions here as well uh the the big question about saying no uh and i love how you said very how do you say no and your answer is um very easily now how did you get to that point deb and and can you share some wisdom there with us please Uh, i think basically i got really really tired of all of the angst that goes with saying yes and then not being able to deliver you know i i'm um very um, focused on making sure that I do whatever I promise to do. And, you know, I was tying myself in knots because I wasn't able to deliver it or I was having to go to such extreme lengths in terms of my personal health um, to be able to deliver. And I realised that this is not sustainable. And and I also um, understood that every time I said yes, I was actually saying no to something else. So every time I say yes to doing some more work, there's some other work that's going to suffer. You know, there's some other work that I'm not going to do to the same level of quality and, and am I prepared to live with that? Or I'm going to say yes to doing this extra work, but then I won't get to see my dad this weekend. Mm-hmm. So I understood that every time I say yes, there's something really important to me that I have to say no to. And then it became re- really easy to say, no, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'd be happy to do that, but not not this week. Can we do it in two weeks? Um, and, and, you know, to to put some boundaries around. And, you know, the outcome you get from that is that people are fine with you saying no and they, they respect the fact that you want to deliver something that's of, of um, the quality that they want. So in, in the end, both both parties win from you saying no. So, Deb, um, just stepping away from, from work for a second because I know um, most of the people we interview generally can't just do one thing they have to they are doers and they do do a lot for the community as well and I know that you do um and, and that does take a high degree of priority over your life definitely giving back to the community um so h- how do you give back to the community that you're in and, and and what involvement have you got um because I know I'm, I'm really interested in the whole concept of social capital and a lot of innovators and communities will often drive and galvanize communities um how, what's been your involvement in, commu- in community I, I work a lot with uh, um, not-for-profit organisations, so um, my um, involvement in community tends to revolve around that kind of work. Uh, I support, um, uh, I, I facilitate a support group for young widows called Wattle, Women Acting Together um, Through Loss to Empowerment, uh, and so that's about uh, supporting women who are going through a tough time to be able to talk with other people who experience um, the same kinds of uh, emotions or same kinds of situations. Uh, and, and that's been really important because in uh, regional Queensland we don't have anything like that uh, where, where women can come together in that kind of forum. And, and I love that because it, you know, it's, it's a fairly simple thing that we do. It's, it's mostly a social event, but it does mean that these women are, are able to function in their lives a little bit better and they're, they're able to interact with their children a little bit better. They're able to support their families to understand grief in a different way and, and the schools where their kids go. And, you know, that I, I'm, I'm really keen to support people to understand um, that, that we can think about grief differently. So that you know that so that we can manage it differently for people. Uh, I'm, I'm also involved with uh, Luana Women's Shelter, which is a shelter for women who are escaping domestic violence or who are at risk of homelessness. Uh, and I'm part of a learning a support circle for a person with a disability. Uh, her uh, parents are elderly, and they're concerned about what will happen with their daughter when when they 
die. So they have a support circle of people who who know about her life. So so we are able to carry on when they're not able to have that function anymore. Um, so and and I'm just interested in being part of whatever's happening in the community because it uh, in my local community because. Uh, our community is only as good as the people who contribute. And if, if everyone thinks that it's someone else's job, then nothing will happen. So, you know, I, I see it as a responsibility to make sure that I do contribute to my community in whatever way I can to the best of my ability. Sometimes as out of those places that you get your support as well, that you get your networks and your collaborators and the opportunity for you to grow. I mean, you said at the very beginning about the importance of role models and supporters and, and a lot of the time they can come out of the community that you live in. Absolutely. And being with those uh, women in the Wattle group, you know, seeing what they're able to do and, and you know, the, the kinds of things they do to make sure that they can get out of bed every day to be there for their kids, that's endlessly inspiring. And, and that older uh, couple who are supporting their daughter with a disability, they're in their 80s. And, and they're quite innovative in the types of programs they've been able to establish for their daughter and the way that they uh, perceive disability. And, you know, I, I, they're huge role models for me. Not, not that they would understand, you know, if I say that, they say, now we're just normal people doing what we have to do for our daughter. But they are, you know, there are so many examples in our everyday life. And I, I get so much from being part of those groups just as much as I'm able to give to anyone else. You've worked in Brisbane and you've been in the metropolitan setting as well, Deb. Um, and we've just been speaking about the, you know, it's it's someone else's job. Well, it's not. What defines, do you think, a regional, rural or remote setting in that, in that context as opposed to a metro? And how, how vast is the difference? Mm, uh, I, I saw a lot of differences. It, you know, I have a community development background and I was very interested in those senses of community in, in those two locations. Um, the, I, I lived in New Farm in Brisbane for a lot of the time, which is right in the middle of the city. And, you know, people would, and I lived in a small unit, in a, in a block of units, uh, and, you know, the houses were quite close together. And a lot of people think, well, that must have been horrible. You know, there, there's no sense of community. It's a city. People don't care about each other. And in actual fact, there was an, a, a huge sense of community in that space because we were close to our neighbours. Uh, I, I saw people all of the time. I knew the man who lived next door very well. I knew all of the neighbours in, in my eight um, block of units uh, very well as, as well. And we, we, had a, a, we had a community within that environment. Uh, when I came to Mackay, I found it quite different because uh, a lot of people live in suburban blocks and we have fences and we have roller doors and you press a button and your roller door goes up and you go inside and your roller door goes back down again. And it, and it became very difficult to access those people because they were behind fences and roller doors. And, and I, so I also came to understand that in Mackay, people are much more reliant on the resources that we have right here. Uh, and, and that me and that includes the other people that we have around us, and that um, that we that there's much there can be particularly in a work setting there's much greater um, support that comes from those and there's much greater collaboration that can happen and and you can see when that collaboration does happen it's very very successful and when it doesn't you know it leaves a huge vacuum so so the importance of having that community i think is greater in a regional area because the other types of resources that we can call on um, are more scarce 
So we have to make the most of those um, those other people that are around us. And, you know, in, in, on a practical level, in, in Mackay, uh, I, I see people much more regularly. I see the same people over and over again. So you, you become more, much more conscious of how you deal with people because you know you're going to bump into them again. I know I'm going to see them in the supermarket or uh, at, at the sports ground or in the gym or, you know, um, so you're much more mindful of how you treat people. It becomes a, a different way of working. And, and I also know that um, I can be in the supermarket and, and we can be having a, a conversation about a project that I'm working on. So, you know, all of those things can, can intermingle know more about me because, because there are so many connections through family and friends and, and, and how we work. And at first I found that very stifling coming from a city. I was very intimidated by the fact that my life was much more open than I was used to. Uh, but then I came to realise that that's actually a huge blessing, that, you know, that, that, that those supports are there all the time and that there are people who are looking out and, you know, and that I can do the same for them as well. I think in re- particularly in some of the regional towns I've been in, sometimes you can become more famous through that because uh, you know some some of the some of the stories move faster than uh, social media, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and sometimes it can be a good thing, uh, you know, for or not a good thing. Yes, yes, and and I experienced both, you know, because I had um, a lot of people knew about what had happened to my husband and myself before I got back to Mackay, and and not all of those stories were correct <laughs> that were told about me. So again, I had to. I had to, had to understand, you know, that that's not necessarily coming from a bad place. People are, uh, um, are sharing stories because because they want to be able to help me sometimes. So, you know, and, and just being able to guide those stories so that they did were actually helpful. So thank you so much, Deb. I do have uh, one final question for you, uh, and that is because, you know, our listeners, our listeners try to get tips out of this in terms of what they can apply to their business. And I know that learning from role models, and I know you would be so for many of our listeners, uh, is, well, what does success look like to you? I mean, do you know that you ever achieved that level of success? What does it look like for you? Uh, yes. Um, uh, I, I have spent a lot of time thinking about this because when I started my business, you know, I, I uh, I come from a community development background, so thinking about numbers and doing those kinds of things was a bit of a struggle for me. But uh, I came to understand that that's really important. Um, but it's not—it's not the only thing that's important. So you know, I, w- one thing for me is that is a definer of success is having a viable business. But that's—that's that's not the end of the story. I, I need to be able to do things that I'm that I make the best use of my skills that make a difference for other people. If I, you know, I can't just make widgets and sell them and, and be financially successful, that's not going to work for me. I, I have to know that in, I have to know what success means for me and that means making a difference for people. You know, I get to see that aha moment. I get to see when the light bulb goes on and they understand something that they didn't understand before, that they never even knew existed before and they're able to make changes in their life, you know, that that mindset has been able to shift as long as I can see that happening for people and as long as I can see them taking action as a result of that, then then I have been successful. When I can work with businesses and organisations and teams and see that see that they get, you know, they get it, they, they understand this is what I need to do and they start to make those changes. 
that as long as I'm able to be part of those processes and I can do it in a way that's financially viable for myself and, you know, and, and also good for my health and my own well-being, then I know that I've been sick. I know Tara said that was the last question, but I just want to throw one more in. And this is one that we're trying to ask at the, at the end of every one of our podcasts of the, of the interviewee. And if you, it's a, it's a, if you knew then what you know now. So if you were penning a letter to yourself before you came, you happened upon this journey, um, which I say happened upon in your case quite intentionally, Deb. Mm. Um, what what would be in that letter? Uh, um, I I would let myself know that it's going to be okay. That whatever happens, um, it's going to be okay, and you'll be okay. And that um, also whatever happens, you'll find a way to be able to work work it out. Uh, I tend to put a fair bit of um, stress on myself and, and give myself a hard time sometimes. So it was about, I think, I, you know, a big learning is take, relax. Uh, you can't control everything. Give yourself that space to be able to think things through and understand that all you can deal with is this very present moment. And all you need to deal with is this very present moment. And when you deal with each present moment after each one, then, you know, eventually you're in the future and the future will be okay because you've dealt with each of those moments. Um, um, There's no need to look at the whole big universe and decide that you need to change everything straight away. Just deal with what you need to do today and, and also to believe in yourself. You don't have all of, you know, when I first started, I didn't have all of the answers. I had very, very few of the answers. But but I, I had eventually, I had the belief in myself that I will find the answers. And, and, you know, and if you believe that about yourself, then you can essentially do anything. Because, you know, if you have, you have your belief that um, I, I, I know how to find this information, I know how to learn those skills, I know how to get those supports, then, then you can do whatever it is that you set out to do. Deb Ray, thank you so much for your time. I think this is going to be one of those podcasts that our listeners will put on their favourites and play back when they're, whenever they're feeling like, I don't know whether I'm cut out for this, I don't know. And, look, we all have moments of that, but there's been... Usually we like to sort of recapitulate at this point over the main points out of the interview with you, Deb, but there are too many pearls of wisdom. Hang on, Tara's got one she's just indicated, so Tara. (laughs) I was going to say as my key takeaways because, you know, um, I learned from every guest we interview. I think we do. Mm. But probably uh, what I think was a fabulous reminder was uh, learn to say no. I think that's... um, can be quite hard, I think, in the whirlwind of life, particularly for startups and particularly in, in the entrepreneur space. And I love your, your quote, which I think is going up on my wall, is fear is close to excitement and it's mm. all about how you perceive it. They're literally the different opposite sides of the same line that you're walking and I love that. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tara and Meredith. It's been fabulous. It has been fabulous having you on. And, um, look, I just want to thank our partners again. So thank you very much to A Thousand Invisible Threads, to iScribe Consulting, Amanda Powell Digital, Kazen Media and Purple Wax. Without these organisations, this podcast wouldn't be possible. So we're very grateful to their support, ongoing support. Uh, and again, look, a big thanks to our interviewee today, Deb Ray. Thanks, Deb. And uh, thanks, Tara. See you next week and keep an eye out on our social media for all the cool stuff that's coming up. And take the leap.